Welcome to Saltivation. The Saltivation Show is a podcast series featuring the leading voices in salt, where we talk about the issues and strategies to help you make sense of state and local tax. We're back this week with the second installment of our engaging discussion with Professor Richard Pomp and Jordan Goodman, where we've been discussing the duo's top 10 lists and their thoughts on prominent tax cases and other state and local tax topics. Are there any other recent tax decisions that you think are just really bad policy? I'm trying to think. The last cases we went over, which I happen to have a little subset here. What, what was the most outrageous state decision that we talked about, Jordan? Do we talk? I don't know that we talked. This um, was really stupid. Well, we you yell, I talk. So I, this was really stupid. I was going to talk about the thing that from a policy perspective that's really making me crazy is this debate about whether the proceeds from the sale of a capital event should be included in the factor. It's included in business income, right? It's included in business income, but Mm -hmm. we don't want to include the receipts. And I think that is just stupid. I just think it's wrong. And this is actually a debate that's going on now around the country about when to include it or not. And I think California probably has the best approach to it, although I'm in California and I'm hitting them on the head with their own laws and they, they don't even know which way is up. Really, they, they say everything, every gross receipt should be included. If it moves the factor 5%, you got to show that it's not distortive. I go, okay, that's a legitimate thing. The Utah one we talked about, you have to show where it's a lot of it's goodwill, right? Gain on, on capital events, goodwill. You got to show where it was sourced to or show me some event to it and I, before you include it. Well, I don't think that's the right test. California, for me, it's like, what? how is it not distortive? How much income did it generate compared to your normal income? Right. What, right. That's the question. That should be the subjective, uh, you know, numerical test. And they, I've got a client that's got 95% of its income in the year is generated by the capital event. They go, oh, we're throwing yep. out the factors. But it's business income. I, I'm, I'm baffled. I go, how could it not be included in the factor? Yeah. This is a kind of the old Microsoft case and General Mills, Treasury function and hedging. And they're hard cases because the gross receipts can be so enormous yep. of being generated by a very small profit margin. Now, on the, on the gain of the sale, you have this enormous capital gain that accrued over time. And you're apportioning it by, it's almost serendipitous what the apportionment formula looks like in the year of the sale when that, it took 25 years to, uh, that gain to be generated. I and disagree. And the question the is, I disagree. it doesn't take 25 years for the gain to be generated. The capital gain. The, the, the gain occurs at a particular point when you sell uh, yeah, but that's that's not when the gain was. Really talking checked. about like the accumulation of value just didn't happen overnight, of value. and then you take current so, apportionment factors, and you're and like, you take that's current how we split And you, I mean, I would say theoretically, the right answer is you should average the apportionment formulas over time. Let's say it's goodwill. No, goodwill doesn't happen instantaneously in the year of the the sale. It has been generated over time, and where do you source it? If you are going to put it in the apportionment formula, whose numerator get the capital gain? That's the rub. I, I could I could live with that if that was what the statutes say, but the statutes don't say that. They either say all sales from big transactions get removed per se, 
without an explanation that it generated most of the liability, or I'll give you a piece of it, or I portion it someplace else. It doesn't say that. And that's why I think from a policy perspective, the way the states are approaching it is just dead wrong. They're just saying no. That's wrong. Oh, yeah. They don't know what to do. They don't know really. Uh, that's why I said theoretically. Uh, they don't know what to do as a practical matter. Now, we actually, Georgia may not remember, we were on the same side of Mead. It was handled by Jordan's firm. And when it was remanded, we got ready for a second round before Jordan was able to, to settle this case on remand. And we had to confront what if the gain were going to be taxable, in, uh, if Lexus was going to be taxable by the states in which Lexus did business. Forget me. Just Lexus, carve it out as a freestanding entity. What states should have a piece of that capital gain, which a couple billion dollar capital gain? Uh, and we had some theoretical discussion in a white paper I did. And then, of course, the case was settled and that was the end of it. But uh, the VAS case out of Massachusetts may raise exactly this issue, Jordan. Yeah. You know, what do you do that sale of partnership interest, enormous capital gain, and then who gets a piece of that? And, and that's the area we're seeing it right now are these sales of pass-through entities. Yeah. Uh, where does it go? And the states are scattered. You've got California saying if it's business income, you look to the factors of the entity being sold, not the asset being sold, which mm-hmm. is to me, theoretically inconsistent, but I understand what they're getting at, kind of what you said. Then you know where you've you've been, therefore, historically, where the appreciation occurred. I think it's misplaced, but I understand that at least. But the states are all across the board as to whether it should be where it should be at the asset that's being sold or going through to the entity that's being sold and where what historical. And that's what Vectrum's all about. Right. That Vectrum case is all about the, the anomaly of going into Michigan, uh, where you normally have a three percent factor, having a 70 percent factor in a year of sale and how distortive it is. And the court got it. The court's gotten it twice yeah. now. Right. So that to me yeah. is kind of the upper limit. Well, that, that illustrates my point about how gain can accrue over time. And it's serendipitous the, where you are, the year it is finally uh, recognized. And you may have an apportionment formula having nothing to do realistically with, with the game. Well, we have equitable apportionment. It's a uh, safety valve if you can get a court to understand what you're, you're saying. The, the stupidest case, I think, is the one out of Indiana. Did we talk about that together, Jordan, the Express Scripts case? Yeah. Yes. Basically, a, a management company doing what Anthem used to do before they outsourced it to Express Scripts, uh, just managed the drug reimbursement program. And they didn't sell drugs. CVS sold drugs. Walmart, Walmart, uh, it's Walmart. Walgreens. Walgreens. And, and Indiana, the tax department says, you're selling tangible personal property. And they go, say what? Uh, we're a service provider and we're in a state that at that time was cost of performance. And Indiana, you don't get any of the gross receipt. And the department said, oh, no, no, you have an entry. This has fascinated me, by the way. There's an entry on their federal tax return where they have put their normal deductions, but they call it cost of goods sold. Have you ever run into this, Jordan? 
Yes, yes. You have. What no, is going I, on? Where, where I, I, I've seen it where they use cost of control because it doesn't matter for federal purposes. It's just a deduction. Mm-hmm. But the yeah. state will jump on it. And the opposite in Texas, unless yeah. you call it cost of goods sold, you don't get it as cost of goods sold, even right. though it is cost of goods sold. Yeah, right. yeah. Well, that cock Because it doesn't fit That's... in all the other categories. Right. So you're like, well, I'm going to throw it here. And it is valid uh, deductible. Yeah. Yep. A deduction is a deduction. Uh, the, yeah. And the, but your law firm doesn't have a cost you could sold. You you deduct your associate salaries and everything else uh, on a line on the return. You don't need to to create cost you could sold. So I never understood it, but the department jumped on it. Jordan's absolutely right. Jumped on it and said, "Well, look, obviously it's selling product, and that brings them outside of cost of performance." performance. Yeah, into the destination rule. Luckily, Indiana is one of the great tax court judges in the country, Judge Wentworth. Right? Yes, Judge yeah. Wentworth. Yes. She's wonderful. Wonderful. Calls it as she sees it. The department yeah. hates her. They, uh, <laughs> in, in, in fact, I, I noticed that we seem to be settling more cases because they don't want to go before her. So it's getting easier to settle in Indiana. But, uh, yeah, she's wonderful. And she saw right through them. In this case, when you read the opinion, it kind of drips with scorn. Not a very good department. That's one of the worst cases I think I have read recently. The cases, I I don't understand why they're brought. The the two that come to mind, Chevron and uh, was it Citgo? They they brought a case that was essentially relitigating General Mills. General Mills had it was about hedging, and it was their inventory control program uh, in buying, you know, to protect the price of corn and whatever they put in their cereals. Uh, and it, it went to trial, and the court said, "Yes, it's a gross receipt, but it so distorts it that you." Um, We'll give you the gross receipt, but you can't put that gross receipt in the denominator. It's a gross receipt, but under equitable apportionment, only the net gain on your hedging will be put in the denominator, which is the approach many states take with the treasury function. You buy commercial paper on day one for a million. On day two, you get a million and one back. And you'd like to say your gross receipt is a million and one. And you do this day after day after day. And pretty soon you got an enormous gross receipt. And then the states don't allow this anymore. Anyway, Chevron hedging against the price of its uh, inputs and Citgo, I think, I think was it Citgo. They litigated this. And of course, they got their butts handed to them. It was a ridiculous case to go up on. And I thought we had seen the last of those cases, but I guess not. Yeah, particularly California, they've kind of got it regulatorily nailed down of what they have to do, what the test is. I'm not sure. And yeah, in California, because of General Mills yeah. uh, was one of them, and Microsoft was another in California. Um, yeah. So American Honda, one that Jordan and I talked about. That's, again, not my where, client, not my case, not my understanding. Don't know. Don't get it. Why don't you explain the facts first? Okay. Well, they make a little bit of money selling vehicles. They make a lot of money on uh, earning tax credits. 
and they sell the tax credits. It was, it was hundreds of millions of dollars of tax credits, like $250 million oh, of tax credits year after year. Yeah. And it was more profitable than their operations, and they claimed it was non-business income. They sourced to their commercial domicile. And California happened to be their commercial domicile. What do you think the odds were they actually had a number on their California return? But right. the case doesn't but, say. But that went up to the Arkansas Supreme Court. It was a case of first impression. They really have not looked at, you did the definition of business income in, in Arkansas before. And I don't disagree with the decision. You know, I, I'm an optimist. I looked at the decision of the Arkansas Supreme Court, and they really said something that's really important for all of anybody who's listening in the salt world. They gave no deference to the regulations issued by the Department of Revenue in Arkansas on what business and non-business income is. They said, we can read the statute. We don't need your help. Thank you very much. Which to me was the most important thing of Americana because the issue itself as to whether these tax credits they sold year after year were business income was kind of a silly question. They had a division in the company in charge of selling these credits. Uh, you couldn't ask for a more straightforward business income case. Never understood why they thought they had a shot at this. But this issue of deference is a, uh, a big issue, as you folks know. I don't know why you would want to put blinders on and not even look at what the department did. They may have some insight that you don't have as a lay judge. I would give it whatever deference it deserves and uh, look at it. You don't like it. You think they're wrong. Fine. So, how can you be ignorant? Why do you want to be ignorant? and remain in the dark about what your tax agency, the most knowledgeable people in the state, presumably, think about this problem. I don't, I, you know, De Nova is fine. De Nova with whatever respect you think it deserves may be even better. So, but. Well, I think it's, yeah, judges, the good judges always say, I'll take that under advisement, right? And then they, yes. they either listen to it or they don't listen to it, or they do it themselves, but they kind of do it in the privacy of their own office by saying, we'll take it under advisement. Yeah, right. right. But I, I love it. And that's one that should be quoted all over the place is because department's opinion, pff, worth nothing. I like it. Judges can read statutes too. Yeah, you, you like it until the regulation helps your client. Well, but then, then of course then you like it. Yeah. <laughs> then 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 it ought to be listened to. So two weeks from now, Sirius Radio is being yes. in Texas. And that's two it. weeks. Okay. They two just weeks. Took- right after week after Thanksgiving. Okay. All right. Wow. Buddy Jeff Friedman is arguing that uh in Texas. And that's a big one. Yes. It's just interesting. The lawyer arguing for the state when he was in private practice actually argued the position that Sirius Radio is taking. And then they're saying, look, based on your case law, as much as the statute, it's where the content was produced. Right. We don't produce much content in Texas in terms of. Right. Uh, there is right. a there's something called Willie's Roadshow, uh, not Willie Nelson, and a couple of hours a week. But but that's it. You know, it's all right. out in New York. And the state is saying, no, no, we're market based state, even though they're not. And where's the market? Well, your your business is really decrypting signals. 
at the uh, uh, in the car. That's what you do for a living. You decrypt signals, and that takes place. Now, see, now here's a question. That takes place where? You have interstate truckers. They're big, serious radio subscribers. But you don't know where they are, so you got to use billing address. Mm-hmm. Gordon, you run into this in Chicago all the time, don't you, uh, with the aggressiveness so. Transaction tax, right? Billing address, but at least the city of Chicago allows you to prove by affidavit that it's being used outside the city, right? So they they have an apportionment method. So it's I got to give them kudos when I when I have to. But this whole issue about being a cost of performance state, well, it's which cost of performance are they looking at, mm-hmm. and they become so specific as to putting the credit card in the slot to where the antenna is located. Mm-hmm. Those aren't really cost of performance. Those are pieces of what of the possible way that you get the service and pay for it. This is not really, it's not direct costs that I grew up learning in cost accounting. Those aren't the direct costs. We don't know where the antenna is located. That's mm-hmm. a function of how to deliver it. That's not maybe a piece of it, but certainly not all of it. No. Even on a transaction by transaction basis. Well, I'm pretty sure radio, which is free, but do we source advertising to that, the revenue for that, based on where it's listened to? And that is a moneymaker, radio. So I don't know. That it just seems very and contrary they, to me. The state's but they like to use population. Yeah, right. Nielsen ratings, Nielsen ratings, those kind of things, a little bit yeah. more specific than population for any kind of advertising and broadcasting. Yeah. The thing is, big. Nielsen ratings, are, they're such a dinosaur because of the mobility we have to watch things on the move. Right. Yeah. No, the IP address of your phone is the same no matter where it is, right? Right. And right. Who hasn't watched the show not at home? Right. Not on the phone, right. So it's really an inexact science. And what it comes down to, you just start making stuff up. And you can use a different word for the S. But I'll use stuff. It's a family program. But it's just making (laughs) stuff up and whether it's fair or not. And as the Supreme Court said, it's not an exact science. It's an art. And we'll give you some... Or as as people who have drafted for a living say, the perfect's the enemy of the good. (laughs) We, We can't get this statue perfect. Let's just get it good so we can go home. It's three in the morning. Take a shower. We gotta be back at eight for the leadership meeting. So, uh, yeah, you, and this is will be the, the, the challenge I see in many of these situations, Jordan. How close do you have to get to the right answer? Before? Right. And, and, well, and then the information you can get from companies about how they're how they make their money. That's mm-hmm. a very complicated story to unravel from an accounting and record standpoint. I mean, we have a client that redeems coupons and Washington took the position that the redeemers were the moneymaker when the coupons weren't paid for by the redeemers at all. They got a little discount to buy the good. The manufacturers right. paid for the coupons. That's so that right. money came out of state. So how does Washington get to glom onto that? But the yeah, money wasn't yeah. big enough to fight. So there is this thing where people are going to get taken advantage of if it's not material where the states are going to make a grab for the money and there's going to be multiple states getting the same money. And I think that's really problematic. You, you have hit on a big case in New York that just came down, B&H uh, photo. If you've ever been to New York, uh, where are they, 47th Street or something? They're one of these big, big uh, well-known mail order companies and cheap stuff, cheap prices and whatnot. And you go to their website, which I encourage you to do, and you'll see price of this camera, $1,000 with a big X through it. Today's price only $900. 
And that's what they collected sales tax on. It was a whistleblower case, which Jordan has great experience with in Illinois, home of one of the big whistleblower law firms. And the whistleblower said they should be collecting on $1,000 and state you're losing tons of money. And the AG actually says, okay, we're going to take this case. Talk about a stupid case, right? Yeah. A $1,000 price, which no one ever pays because it's always on sale. The wrinkle is exactly what you said, Judy. The manufacturer gives a subsidy mm-hmm. uh, to B&H Auto, Auto, B&H Photo, on a certain amount of volume that they sell. Mm-hmm. These cameras, they're not required to lower the price of the camera. They're not required to put on sale. But you move a lot of our stuff and you're going to get a, a discount, like a volume discount. And because of that, the whistleblower thought somehow there was the manufacturer's coupon in there. I, I testified in this case and basically said the sales tax is, is supposed to be imposed on consumption. What's the consumption here? What do you pay for? That's your consumption. Not right. Here. Might have sold for yesterday, what it might have sold sell for tomorrow. Right. What one might pay for if they didn't have a coupon. What did you pay for? That's your consumption. And uh, we, we just won this case. And big, big uh, win. Embarrassment to the attorney general because uh, Jordan knows better than most, uh, being from the home of whistleblowers and ketones and all that. The attorney general has to decide whether he is going to get involved. She, in the case of New York, whether she's going to get involved or not. He did on this one. Jordan, why would you get involved in this cockamamie case? A no-brainer from the start, I thought. You know, when I first got called, you're kidding. You're not kidding? They actually think sales tax should be on $1,000, a price no one probably ever pays. But I can't sure believe not. that they really understood the facts, honestly, because it's it's a Jerry Maguire moment. Show me the money. What did I get yeah. paid? That's really what yeah. the, the consideration is. And they kind of blew that. And they were thinking of a manufacturer's coupon where they get reimbursed. or so. I, I don't seem to me like they didn't really understand the facts when they got involved in it, because clearly on the facts that, that were, were true, there's there was no reason to litigate the case. Yes. That, then that could be that someone had stars in their eyes. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, but silly, right? Yeah, it was silly. But yeah, but you got paid. It was all good. Yeah, I got paid. So not a contingency. You know, an expert witness cannot cannot work yeah. on a contingency. You um, yeah, and then I got cited, which was nice. So yeah, I'm, I was happy. Client was happy. Everyone's delighted. I don't think it's going to be appealed. So, I hope not. Um, yeah. Manufacturers have a lot of ways to get money to the vendor, not just with a coupon. Yeah. And I don't think it matters which way they do it. I would say even with a manufacturer's coupon, what did you pay? Not right. what did the vendor get reimbursed? Right, for. right, right. What did you pay. So it's not yes, it's not like they're paying you. That would be um, income paid you anything. So I don't care. What piece of paper you give the store, what did you pay for it out of your cash? That's the only thing that matters. Well, gentlemen, we really appreciate this conversation. And for us today, that's what matters. And so, you know, maybe we'll just have to have you back and 
you know, maybe in a couple of weeks, we'll talk about Sirius, but we really do appreciate your time. Jordan Professor Palm, thank you so much for joining us. This has been another episode of Saltivation. Until next time. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended, nor should it be relied upon as legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice. You should consult with a competent professional to discuss specifics of your situation and the applicability of the information presented.